Welcome to the Mastery Over Money podcast. My name is Michael Kim, and I'm a wealth coach, future CPA, and creative at heart. My mission is to help young professionals such as yourself have mastery over your money and start living a life of financial freedom. Not only will I teach you how to save, invest, make, and maximize your money, but I'll also transform the way that you think about it. At the end of the day, money management is a skill. And when you have mastery over it, you can create anything. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mastery Over Money podcast. Today, I'm so excited because I'm inviting my friend, Sandy Young, to talk all about female empowerment through personal finance. Sandy Young is a self-directed investor who successfully generated a six-figure stock market investment portfolio and owns several rental properties. As a keynote speaker, she teaches female millennials how to invest in the stock market and real estate. With her award-winning book, The Money Master, Sandy has been featured in hundreds of media outlets including Forbes, The Global Mail, Toronto Star, and NBC News. So as you can see, Sandy has accomplished a lot and she is the personal finance expert. And if you're feeling lost in life and you feel like you feel restricted or you can't do certain things, in this episode, you'll learn how having control of your personal finances can give you true freedom. Having control of your money gives you control of your life because you have more options and you have more opportunities. So... If you want to learn more about how you can take control of your money and your life, keep on listening. Thanks, Michael, for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to share some of my personal finance stories today. Amazing. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. Why don't we, and before we dive into all of the personal finance stuff, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so um, for myself, I graduated from the hospitality tourism program at the Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson University, back in 2009. So this was right in the middle of a global financial crisis. And fortunately for me, I was able to land my first full-time job uh, planning conferences and earned a modest salary. And I think like most, um, a majority of people, I went to one of the big banks and um, knew that I needed to invest and into the stock market and blindly put uh, my faith into one of the bank reps. And uh, they, unfortunately, they sold me high fee, high risk, non-diversified, actively managed mutual funds. And at the time, like I didn't, I didn't have a clue um, that it wasn't the right approach. And I just thought, hey, this is what. Um, you know, what other people must be doing. And, um, you know, for a while, the the funds were doing well, but then um, later on, they ended up tanking. And uh, out of panic, I sold them at a loss and lost thousands of dollars. And at that point, I was just so frustrated and upset that, that I worked so hard um, at work to make an income and and then to see myself lose money uh, was just so painful. And then that's where I decided to take control of my own finances and to learn to become a a self-directed investor. And so um, from there, I was able to reach a six-figure investment portfolio through the stock market by the age of 27. But even then, it was really tough to talk about money and investing with my friends or family, my colleagues and my peers, just because no one really talked about it. And it, you know, we know that money is a taboo subject. And so it wasn't until I met my now husband who um, back in 2018 said that he wanted to write a a book uh, for his new year's resolution. And during that time, we had already, um, we were already members of Toastmasters, where we were mastering our public speaking skills. And so when 
we went to a book writing seminar in Toronto that really opened up my eyes to see that, wow, by having a book, I can share my passion for personal finance. I can share my experiences and my expertise of all the money lessons that I've learned. I can interview um, other personal finance experts like Alan Roseman and Mark Noble. And so that's where when um, I spent about a year and a half writing and publishing my personal finance book, The Money Master. And then from there, it opened up other opportunities to help educate young women how they can build their own wealth so that they can become financially successful and to learn how to invest in the stock market, invest in real estate, or even start their own business. So ever since I published my book, it's just been a whirlwind experience. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And it's just in the past like few years that you finished writing your book and then you've been on TV and talking all about personal finances. How does it feel to be able to help so many people learn how to manage their money and in as a result, be able to change their lives with that? Yeah, from time to time, I'll get... Um, DMs or get emails, um, yeah, text messages, uh, sometimes even voicemails from people um, across Canada who say like, hey, Sandy, I came across your book and, you know, I particularly liked this uh, chapter about women and uh, personal finance and why they should learn about it. And then, um, you know, they'll say like how they've been able to now look into opening up an RESP for their, for their children's education or they found a new way to save money on, they say their grocery bills, um, or they'll say the case and I just saw you, um, yeah, on, on TV or, or they read an article um, on a website. So it's definitely really satisfying and rewarding to hear those stories um, and how I'm making a positive impact to help spread more financial literacy to um, millennials across Canada. Yeah, that's, that's so, so important. So in your book, The Money Master, I had the, you really focus on, there's, there's a whole chapter on female empowerment and personal finance specifically for women. I'm curious, why do you think it's important for women specifically to learn about their personal finances? I think that it's really important for women, um, especially to learn about personal finance for a couple of reasons. The first being is that women tend to live longer than men. Um, and that means that they need to make their money last longer, uh, especially during their golden years. And then the other important aspect is that women are still facing the um, gender pay gap. And so it's about, I think, 89 cents um, a woman earns for every dollar a man earns. And so when you already have that pay gap uh, where we're earning less, then we're still trying to catch up with what, you know, um, our male counterparts are making. Not only that, but when we look at um, people who are, uh, you know, in a relationship, women tend to pass on the financial decisions in the household to their male partners. And then they aren't really um, seeing what's happening with their money uh, on a monthly basis, like what's coming in, what's going out. Uh, and when you don't really have that communication and transparency with your partner, um, then you know a lot of things can go wrong and, and, and kind of fly under the radar. And then before you know it, you know, things, it can be too late. Um, and just to add to that, um, unfortunately, not all relationships, not all marriages last. Uh, we do know that people go through a divorce or uh, sometimes um, the, the spouse will pass away. Um, and so the so women become widowed and then they end up having to try to scramble and pick up all the financial pieces when they are experiencing a lot, a lot of emotional turmoil. And it just makes it really challenging to try to catch up on years of your financial history and trying to figure things out when your, your spouse is no longer in the picture. So 
I think like for all these reasons, um, women need to take initiative to learn more about personal finance so that they are um, taking advantage of all of the tools and resources that are out there because there's plenty of um, free resources from books to blogs and even listening to this podcast. Um, And then that way they can be educated and make the informed decisions so that they know what's happening um, in their current financial situation and also set up for the future, especially if they have dependents in their life. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And it's really the harsh reality that women live typically longer than men. And in terms of like my family, that is like 100% correct. Like for myself, I never met any of my grandfathers. And my grandmas, they are in their 90s and they're still up and going. Uh, And when they were widowed, they really had to, it was like a really big shift because typically back then the man would always be in power and in control of the money. And then when the man was gone, then the women, they had to stand up and like have to, there was a big learning curve on how to manage their personal finances, how to manage the money. And they eventually got it, but this really goes to show the importance of having equal power within the relationship and equal knowledge about personal finances because life is very unexpected and there's always going to be curveballs. So it's always best to be prepared. I totally agree. Yeah, this reminds me of the time when I went to a financial literacy event in Toronto. And I believe it was at one of the Toronto Public Library branches uh, because at the time um, they offered free financial literacy events pre-pandemic and so I remember sitting there and kind of looking around the room before the event started and there were a lot of um, I would say middle age or uh, you know elderly women who were uh, in this position where they no longer had um, a spouse to take care of their finances and they were going to this event to learn how to manage their own finances and it was just like wow, like you hear about these statistics, but when you see it in reality, like it was just very shocking. Um, And I was like, wow, like these women are, you know, are facing it. And, and it was, you know, I was kind of sad for them, but um, you know, but it's totally preventable, especially in our generation. I think that, and and for the future generation, knowing that uh, we have the ability to um, educate ourselves so that, Uh, we are equipped to protect our wealth and and, um, the next generation's wealth as well. Amazing. So Sandy, you are a woman yourself, and I'm sure you've had many experiences with seeing women, other women manage their money. So I'm curious on how your past experiences has actually influenced the way that you currently manage your money, or like how did it maybe negatively affect it or like what changed? Yeah, for me, um, growing up um, in my family household in Toronto, um, my father was the sole provider for our family. He often worked in various uh, Chinese seafood restaurants. um, And um, I share in my TEDx talk that my mother was mentally ill. And so she, unfortunately, as much as she wanted to help contribute and earn income for our family, uh, her mental illness took over and, and she wasn't able to hold um, a proper job. So she became a homemaker and she took care of me and my older sister you know, with the best of her abilities. And so seeing that family dynamic where my father was the breadwinner um, and the sole provider, uh, he would work late hours or sometimes would hold two jobs just to provide, you know, food and put it on the table and clothing and all the basic necessities. But it also meant that, um, you know, my mother was financially dependent on my father and it was a real struggle because, um, you know, uh, she would want to spend money on things, but I think that, um, having her, her having a mental illness really um, at times in, interfered with the logical reasoning of spending. And so sometimes her purchases weren't the most logical. And so that's why my father had to um, find a balance of like 
you know, making sure that yes, she could still buy things that she wanted, but also not like rack up a credit card bill per se on things that were not necessary. So um, it was really strange. And so I think my mother in, um, encouraged me to grow up, obviously do well in school, get good grades and have a good job, not just because um, of like, you know, being successful in your career, but she didn't want me to be financially dependent on someone else, have someone else have financial over me. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, and it's probably not talked about much, but there are households who go through financial abuse, where um, a partner or spouse is um, emotionally abusing the other partner, and they may not necessarily have the financial means to leave the relationship because they either can't work or they're not making enough money and they aren't able to escape from some kind of abusive relationship, which is really tough. Um, so I, so I took that to heart, um, you know, based on my childhood experiences. And I think that's why I, um, you know, wanted to build my own well so that I could support myself, but also now for my family, for my, um, my young son, and, and also to pass on my financial knowledge to him so that as he grows up, he will feel empowered as well and make sound financial decisions that will help him um, set up for success. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Sandy. That was, that was very deep. And I, I really resonated with what you said about how having money and being able to make financial decisions empowers and gives people the okay and the, the ability to be able to really to leave a abusive relationship or an unhappy situation, because that is really what happens a lot of the time. And when it comes to money and being able to make financial decisions, at the end of the day, money and being able to make decisions, that is a form of power and a form of yeah, it is a form of power. And if there's an empower imbalance in a relationship, then that can also cause a lot of stress within the relationship. And I saw that with myself, with my family, with my mom and my dad, my dad would always have 100% control of the finances. My mom had zero control of the finances. And that caused a lot of argument and stress on the relationship because a relationship should be equal. Like there should you know, be arguments and there should be mm -hmm. um, conversation when it comes to making decisions instead of, oh, we're doing this or we're moving here and you can't say anything about it. And when a person is financially literate, they can contribute to the conversation. They can be a part of the conversation and have that power to make or be contributing to the decisions that the family makes. Yes, I totally agree. And thank you for sharing your personal story um, about your family dynamics as well, because I feel like so many people go through it, but it's just not many people, um, you know, are able to talk about it because it can be very traumatic sometimes, right? And, and being just the witness of it is, um, can really uh, uh, shape how you think about money or perceive money, how you manage money into your adult years. And luckily, I was able to take those um, sometimes positive, but sometimes negative experiences and, um, and take my mother's um, encouraging words to really focus on um, my own personal finances and make it into something good. And, and um, to, to also not only support myself and my family, but, uh, and then, um, you know, have the means to give back to society as well. Yeah, sometimes those negative experiences are something that you have to go through. And the best thing to make your peace with those negative financial situations is to just learn from it, to mm -hmm. learn from the mistakes in your situation. Luckily, your mom had to go through that. And even though it wasn't pleasant for her, but you were able to learn from it and you learned so many lessons from it. And it helped you to become where you are today.
Absolutely. I'm curious, how do you think your mom felt when she didn't have the ability to make financial decisions or didn't have that power in, in, that, in the relationship that she was in? How do you think she felt? Uh, absolutely helpless. You know, she wasn't able to um, work uh, and contribute financially, but she was able to uh, contribute, you know, as the a, a mother taking care of me and my older sister to the best of her abilities, because it wasn't always easy with coping with her mental illness. Um, and so, yeah, I felt like it just watching her um, struggle to, you know, she would want to buy things, but then and she needed the money, but she couldn't earn the money herself. So having someone else decide for her was just like so debilitating. And, and um, um, I think one, it makes you humble, but then two, it's like, you feel like, um, yeah, just, just very helpless in that situation, which is, just, it's sad um, to, to witness. But um, so I think that's why, like, you know, it, and we're so lucky that we do live in Canada and, um, you know, the government helps support, um, you know, families in all like financial ways. And, and um, we're able to kind of eventually get out of it. And I was able to graduate and, and work, um, you know, work uh, in the corporate world and whatnot. So yeah, eventually it's all, it's all worked out to be positive <laughs> in the end. Yeah. And so you had this, I guess, influence from your mom to always be financially independent and be knowledgeable in your own personal finances. How do you think that has impacted the way that you manage your personal finances, either by yourself or in your relationship? Yeah, um, there was a lot, I definitely learned a lot of lessons of what not to do <laughs> and, and how not to spend money. But then, you know what, my, my father was, because he was the, the, um, the financial decision maker of the household, I did pick up some, some good habits from him. Like he kept a good record of like all of our spending, um, you know, he'd make sure that we're on budget because money was really tight. And so um, he was very meticulous of like how much we would spend. And so I kind of knew going up that, um, you know, we had a certain food budget or um, certain clothing budget and, and, you know, we had to pay for property taxes and electricity and all that. So, um, but I think for me, um, yeah, I think like, my mom encouraged me to kind of be more financially independent. And then my father was the one who, um, you know, helped me with, um, you know, starting to learn how to invest in the stock market. And he, he did tell me when the stock market crashed in 2008 slash 2009, he's like, you know, don't worry. Like the, the stock market is crashing. It's just temporary. Like don't sell sell things. Um, so it's kind of nice to have someone to kind of like guide you, um, guide you, through, uh, you know, there. Um, and then, so that's kind of also what motivated me to kind of dig deeper into learning more about personal finance and, and investing. That's amazing. That's a really great point that you just shared, because I think what a lot of people struggle with in terms of their personal finances that maybe they know everything about like what they should do about how to invest they can like listen to youtube videos but then at the same time they might not do it because they might be like oh that's not really that important like i don't have the motivation to learn this you know boring topic but for yourself you really had the motivation from your mom to be like i need to be financially independent and then you also had all of the tangible like strategy and um, advice from your dad in order to learn on how to actually implement it. And I think that's really the key to anything about personal finances, whether you're trying to learn how to save or invest your money, you have to have the drive and the, and the, the desire to actually learn how to do it. That's like one of the most important parts. 
And then the second part is just to actually learn how to do it and do it. <laughs> but you mm -hmm. need both. You need the motivation and the how to do it. Yeah, you said that so well. Um, I mean, they say knowledge is power, but if you don't apply the knowledge, then it doesn't mean anything at all. Um, so yeah, definitely. And that's why like even in my book, um, at the end of each chapter, I share a checklist of like what people can start doing. So then that way they take action because I am very, I'm very much an action oriented person. And so that's why um, I do encourage people to, you know, take steps, you know, even if they are small steps, at least you're moving forward. Um, and just, yeah, just small steps bit by bit. And then that way it, it grows and has that compounding effect, right? And, and eventually you get more comfortable and more confident and, and, and then you'll eventually realize that personal finance and investing is not all that complicated that the big corporations <laughs> make it out to be. And um, yeah, it's just really just making these small positive habits that can really transform your, your life and, and your future lifestyles well yeah and i think that's a really great transition to talk about your book the money master so you wrote this book and it's all about personal finances i'm curious as to why you decided to write this book in the first place and what is the purpose of this book like like what are you trying to achieve with it yeah so um adding to kind of what i shared at the the beginning um of uh, our interview, um, I'd say that I really wanted to break the barrier of the how taboo it is to talk about money and mental health because I do have um, a mental health aspect um, charity with my book with Cam H, and um, it was it it was at the right point in my life where I had already um, had completed many. Um, public speaking engagements and that was a big passion of mine and the personal finance and so to kind of combine the two together and put it into this book where it would open up opportunities to um, have to share financial literacy um, whether it was through events or conferences whether in person or virtual um, or, you know, different media outlets, it, this book was my kind of, my gateway to really help spread financial literacy to other people and to kind of, and to break down these barriers about um, money and mental health. And so I just think it's, you know, so important um, to be able to speak candidly about it and to share our stories, like you said, and, and for people to listen to your podcast, um, or come to you for financial coaching, because, um, the more people learn, the better they are able to make wise financial decisions. And, and trust me, I've made many money mistakes along the way, and I'm sure I'll be making plenty more, uh, in the future, but, when you learn from them, you grow and you become better at managing, um, managing your finances. And so, um, and it's tough because like some people feel really intimidated or overwhelmed and they want to procrastinate or they don't want to take action, but that's probably the worst thing you can do. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been in that place before. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of just, drawing a line in the sand and say, okay, like today's the day I'm going to take action. I'm going to learn whether it's budgeting or saving and all the foundations um, that I do share about in the first half of my book. And then once you kind of figure out the basics, um, you know, later on in, in my other chapters, I dig deeper into stock market investing, real estate investing, and then even starting your own business, which is pretty much kind of the, the three major ways people make multiple streams of income. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. Um, and then that way people can grow their wealth and they can grow their net worth and, um, you know, feel financially stable in their life. Yeah. And I think the purpose and the problem that you're trying to address is so important, which is 
just starting and having money conversations, just being able to talk with money, about money with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues. That is such a, an important thing, but then yet it's so taboo because if we never talk about our personal finances with others, then how are we ever going to learn or distribute, share our knowledge with other people? So I'm curious, why do you think there is such a big taboo when it comes to money? And what is your thoughts on like navigating this, the society norm of money is taboo? I think there's several aspects to it. Um, first, there's the emotional attachment to it. Um, even though money, really, it's just an, um, an object that people use. It's just a way to exchange um, things, right? It's like a transaction, right? I want an object and then I just use money as a means to um, you know, pay for an item. But there, there are a lot of emotional um, attachments to it. You've got like the negative parts where people tend to think, oh, money is evil or, 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 you know, people who want money are greedy and like all these myths and, um, or power, which can either be good or bad. Um, uh, and then, but then sometimes when you think about, oh, the lottery, people get excited because they think about, oh, if I had whatever millions of dollars, I could have my dream lifestyle. So there's like, positive and negative associations with money, which can make people, I guess, um, yeah, feel differently about it. And then the other part is that, I mean, they, yeah, they do say that personal finance is personal. And, um, and sometimes like even finding out, I mean, if even asking how much your colleagues make is probably like really taboo right makes people feel like uncomfortable or cringe um just because it's like oh you feel like you're comparing yourself to other people um which leads to the whole the joneses keeping up with the joneses concept right of like um you know they say like if you move to like a fancy neighborhood and you end up kind of like mimicking the lifestyle of your neighbors and wanting to buy the fancy car that they're driving or or I don't know, whatever materialistic things. Um, but then they're on to the next thing. You feel like you're kind of in that negative and never ending cycle of trying to catch, to catch up. So it's, um, it's, a it's really tough. I, I mean, yeah, there's, and there's just so many misconceptions or false beliefs, um, myths about money that people are taught at a very young age. Um, that unfortunately kind of can have, um, can negatively shape how you perceive money as an adult. And so when you go about your everyday life and you have all of these false beliefs that are, have been programmed into your brain for decades it's really hard to undo those things, right? And we kind of go back to our default setting. And um, and when you believe, oh, like, um, I don't know, just like all these false beliefs, then it can really hinder how much wealth you accumulate. Or like, for example, if you feel, if you believe, oh, I'm not good at money, I'm not good at managing money. And if you always believe that and you tell yourself that, then even if you had a windfall of money, um, then you may not know how to handle it. But if you kind of change that mind sh mindset and shifted it from, oh, I don't know how, or I can't manage money to, okay, let me try to figure out how to manage my money or how can I manage my money better, then having that positive perspective on things will help you figure out new ways to um, have a better control of the way you manage your finances and to build better habits. So there's definitely a lot, I think definitely the, the emotional aspects, the false beliefs um, and the habits that people uh, have been ingrained, you know, or have been learning for so long that it, you kind of have to like reset and like 
yeah, transform the way that you go about with your daily financial decisions. Um, that will help you kind of get out of that funk and to improve your financial situation for the long, long run. Yeah, when it comes to money is taboo, at the end of the day, money is really just like coins and pieces of paper. But mm -hmm. it's because of the experiences that we have with it when we are growing up, how our parents managed it, how our friends managed their money. It's all of those experiences that we associate feelings and emotions, feeling of shame, guilt, or even happiness with those experiences that really influence the way that we talk and feel about money. And if there's a lot of, if you grew up in, let's say, a, an environment where, where money was always scarce, it was something that you didn't have and you needed more money, then you might grow up believing that, oh my gosh, like money is something that's like very negative and something bad and something that is desired and greedy. And that could maybe cause you to even think that it's taboo to even talk about. And then this was definitely the story for me. I'm talking from like personal experiences uh, because my family struggled financially. And I was like, oh my gosh, I always need more money or I need to have more money be to feel safe. And what I always ask myself or what I ask my clients is like, how, how, how are those thoughts serving you? How is believing that money is like really bad and really greedy to want money? How is that actually serving me? And it's probably not serving me very well because if I think that it's bad and that if you desire money, you're greedy and you're a bad person, then you just subconsciously always try to tell yourself or your body constantly makes these little decisions that takes away the money, that keeps you from having money and keeps you poor. And that's the reason why it's so important, as you said, to have that mindset shift, to first be aware of how these thoughts are influencing you and being able to shift that perspective. So instead of thinking money is bad and greedy and horrible, how is money good? How is money, having money going to help your family and help your friends and help you live a more fulfilled life? And how is that going? How are these thoughts going to impact your financial results? I totally agree. And it reminds me of uh, one of the many personal finance books that I've read. Um, one of them is by Jen Sincero. And she wrote the book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, I believe. And I love that book. Like one of the, yeah. And one of the big takeaways that I got from it, because she shares about how she struggled for decades, um, how like she can like barely hold um, um, you know, a job for a long period of time and how she was just kind of like, just scrambling and just scraping by in life. And um, one of the, her stories that really resonated with me was that she started um, kind of uh, saying this affirmation, uh, money comes to me easily and freely. And I thought that was so powerful um, because I mean, our mind goes through so many thoughts in a day and sometimes, I mean, most of the time they can be very negative. And so that's kind of one of the, affirmations that my husband and I say, especially like when we get um, our paychecks, um, you know, or I don't know, a bonus. Um, now our child, Canadian childhood benefit paychecks. Uh, we'll just say money comes to us easily and freely. And we always say that uh, just so that we feel like we are living in abundance and that are attracting money into our life or attracting wealth and that we don't have to worry about money. And so, um, and so that's kind of like <laughs> one of the things that we do is, you know, it's kind of fun to, to do that and just to kind of put it out there in the universe. <laughs> I think that is so cute that you brought your husband along and he's now saying these affirmations with you about <laughs> money. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's so funny. <laughs> I'm curious about your relationship with money with your husband. Like, how do you guys manage the money together? Um, who makes like big financial decisions? Do you both do it or does it only, do you, do you make it? How, how do you manage your personal finances with your husband right now? Yeah, I love that question. So um, there's kind of like multiple moving parts with it. So we are very much like a team when it comes to our personal finances. Um, we have, 
an Excel sheet, well, probably multiple Excel sheets, but one of them, we have um, a de detailed monthly budget, um, which outlines like as much as possible, like what we spend our money on as accurately as possible. Um, and then, you know, from like the big categories, right? Like what are our household expenses or property taxes? What are our incomes, like different streams of income to, um, yeah, like different, um, you know, member memberships and subscriptions, uh, insurance coverage. Now our baby is in the picture. So like what are all our childcare expenses? Cause we're sending our kid to daycare next month. Um, so we have all that and then it kind of translates to um, a yearly, oh yeah, and it also has the yearly budget. And so we kind of keep track of that every few months to make sure like if there's any changes, we'll like update it. And then that also um, ties into our net worth um, tracking sheet. So our net worth is basically like your assets minus your liabilities, and then you get um, your net worth. So because we are real estate investors where we have several condo properties in the greater Toronto area, um, we have to also be very diligent about paying off several mortgages and making sure our rental income comes in and that we have enough money in our bank account to pay for like all of the ongoing maintenance fees and property taxes. And sometimes there's just repairs that pop up here and there. And so we have to um, keep track of that and make sure that, you know, over time, a long period of time, our, the property values go, goes up hopefully. And then that the mortgage balances go down and therefore also in, increasing our net worth. Um, and so a lot of the big, big decisions, we will definitely have a discussion and, and, um, and uh, agree upon, you know, whether we're going to make a purchase or not. Not. Um, like, for example, we bought a pre-construction condo up in Vaughan um, last year. And so obviously, you know, we, we had to figure out our down payment situation and, and make sure that we had enough money to cover all the payments. Um, but then we also, so we have our joint, joint um, checkings, joint credit cards, joint savings accounts, and whatnot, where it's all like kind of mutual expenses. And then we also have our own individual accounts, like our individual um, individual checkings accounts, savings accounts, individual um, retirement accounts, like investment accounts and whatnot, individual pensions. And so that way, like we kind of keep keep track of our own, um, our, our individual finances because then we give ourselves our own freedom to spend our own money the way that we want, or sorry, the way that, we individually want without like the other partner judging. So it's kind of like a, it's a mixed, um, set, yeah, mixed setup. So whatever's mutual, then we put it in our joint funds and then we have our individual ones that we keep track of. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I don't, I'm currently not married. So learning about how you manage your personal finances with your significant other is it was a really great learning experience for me as well. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, the, you, when you look at a spectrum, you have either the the you know um, the people in the relationship will just do everything individually, um, and then the other end is you just combine everything. But we just figured kind of like blending the two together. Uh, was a, a great way for us to kind of still have control of our own finances, but also have mutual um, savings goals, mutual um, yeah, long-term goals that we work towards as well. Yeah. I really like the balance between like keeping separate as well as what you said of being, having combined finances and also both discussing about the financial decisions that are impacting both of you. I think always two brains or two happy, good brains are always better than one. And I was talking to one of my friends recently and his parents are very good. They're like very successful real estate investors as well. And he was telling me that they really collaborated. Like they, they like worked on these things, like 
both. And the reason for this is because they had many different strengths and weaknesses. For example, like his mom was really good at like picking out the properties and like which property to buy. But then her husband was really good at like the handiwork and like which is like a good quality house and or which quality um, uh, apartment to purchase. So their two brains combined created this like very good partnership where they could they could make successful real estate investments and have such a lucrative business. But then if they, you know, kept things separate, then they wouldn't have been able to work together. And I think that's so important. And the reason why we're here today about talking about the importance of having equality in a relationship of being able to make financial decisions. So because if you don't have the financial literacy and you don't have the ability to be a part of that conversation, then you can't use your own strengths in order to help yourself and help your family achieve the goals that they want. Uh, and I'm curious as to what sort of obstacles do you think women specifically face when it comes to learning about their personal finances? There's so many. Um, uh, and some of them I kind of uh, touched upon earlier when it comes to the, the emotions that may, they may feel, whether it's uh, positive or negative, um, especially confidence, because I've read a couple of articles and they did some surveys comparing what, you know how women and men um, manage their finances. And, and time and time again, it shows that women just don't feel as confident um, in managing the money compared to men. And um, which is kind of sad because it, there's another study that shows that when it comes to stock market investing, um, that women tend to um, be more successful at investing in the stock market than men, um, because uh, for a couple of reasons, one, they're able to kind of stay like level headed, um, you know, because when the stock market is very volatile, as we have seen in the past couple of months, um, they're able to stick to a plan and not kind of go off course. Um, they're also not kind of chasing shiny objects and, you know, going off, uh, going after um, these stock market memes or, you know, trying to trade actively and whatnot. So um, th women definitely have the ability to um, be really successful at um, learning about personal finance and accumulating their own wealth. And I think there was another statistics saying that when, it, um, you know, women are, are going to take on like, I don't know if it was billions or trillions of dollars of money. Um, and they're, they're going to be big decision makers. Um, you know, they're going to have a lot of um, financial power. And so, um, you know, whether it's through inheritance or through their career income, so it's important for women to be prepared and be educated so that when they do have all of this wealth coming to them, that they know what to do with it. And, um, you know, they're, they're not going to make poor decisions. Um, and so I think in terms of trying to find ways to overcome these obstacles, um, again, it's about just kind of taking those small baby steps at first. You don't, you don't have to like have big, lofty, like ambitious goals because it could be feel very overwhelming. But if you kind of take small, small steps uh, just to get started, then, um, and when you start seeing those results, it will be more encouraging and motivated to continue. Um, and, um, and nowadays, I mean, so much has changed even within the past decade and um, technology has made it so much easier, not just for women, but like, you, you know, Canadians to, um, you know, use money apps or, you know, online banking, um, you know, there's robo advisors now, um, or there's even ways to automate your payments or automate your savings. And so there's just, there's just so many great tools um, and new technology coming out that it's simplifying the way that we can um, grow our wealth and just to, you know, set up, set up systems that 
will make our lives easier so that we don't have to always kind of remember, oh, we've got to pay this bill or, um, or whatnot. You can just aut- automate things and, and, you know, almost <laughs> set it and forget it, as they say. Yeah, I think the confidence about being able to manage your personal finances is so important. And I think it's really hard and difficult to, I would think, to have that comfort confidence when you don't see it in your in your life right so in like media and in movies it's always like the male it's always a man who's you know investing and stock in stocks and you know the big real estate guy at least in the past so I think oftentimes as children we see these images or we maybe see only our father manage the money and then we're like oh, okay that's like a man's job and that's you know, a woman shouldn't be doing that, quote unquote. And that, but that's how we experience the world as children. It's like very like black and white. And I guess like something that's like how I can relate to that is like, I know, I know that you went to see Simu Liu's like speaking conference in Toronto recently, right? right? Yes, I did. Yeah. And something that he wrote in his book recently was that he never saw confidence in himself because he didn't see it portrayed in media. Like he never saw Asian American people who were famous, who were seen as attractive in Hollywood. All of the Asian people were just like the nerds and like, you know, Mm. the background character who is never the, on the main stage. And that really impacted his ability to, you know, take leading on roles and, and become the highest and greatest potential that, he could achieve. And, and it's the same thing when it comes to just like portrayal. Like, do you see that, like, at, if you're a woman or whoever you identify as, like, do you have the confidence in order to see yourself in those types of roles? And that's such a big obstacle and a big hurdle to overcome. So how did you manage that, those like society norms and the confidence of, of being able to manage your own personal? finances yourself yeah um yeah I mean that's a the great story that you shared about Simu um and it's also Asian Heritage Month uh so I've been seeing a lot of um different profiles of um you know a, uh, successful Asian people who are excelling in their careers so it's kind of nice to to see those highlighted um so how have I been able to um to that, I think, um, yeah, it's tough because like when I think about people who are role models, um, there's, I can count on one hand how many of them who um, are, I guess, have been able to kind of be at that, you know, s- superstar level um, who are Asian women. And, and And I'm sure there's plenty more out there, but they just aren't necessarily being um profiled or they're not being um you know highlighted and so that's why I feel like as a a woman a woman of color minority that it's all the more reason for for me to put myself out there and so that um you know I can help inspire other young um you know Asian Canadian women um who are able to kind of relate to what uh, I've been through and like relate to the experiences uh, I went through growing up and, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really inspiring to see where Simu came from and, you know, how he's kind of charted his own path and, and making history. Um, I also, I also watched him on the, on the hosting the Junos on TV and he had that I am Canadian I am Canadian um, speech, which was like really inspiring. So it's nice to see, um, you know, fellow uh, Asians um, within our personal finance community do what they do and see them be successful because then I feel like, you know, oh, if say Melissa Leong um, is able to become a successful keynote speaker and personal finance expert, then hey, like, I guess, you know, I can also, um, in a way, follow her footsteps, but also kind of, you know, create my own niche as well and help people who are in my generation or the younger generation. So 
Um, but yeah, it definitely takes some guts to like put yourself out there um, and to be vulnerable. Um, but I think it's just, it's important for, for people to talk about it, like you said, and because if you don't share, then how are other people supposed to learn, right? Yeah, I think building confidence and believing and trying to achieve something that you think is kind of out there and risque is all about creating evidence that it is possible. Because if you constantly create evidence of, let's say, let's take um, personal finance as an example. If you constantly take evidence of, oh, my mom never managed her money and, you know, I can't do it. Or if you look at, oh, you know, this, my aunt was really bad at managing money. So money is something to be scared and not, not for me to like be afraid of. Then you're going to take that evidence and use it in order to influence what you do with your current, current money. But then if you create evidence of how is it possible to be an amazing manager of money or for me to be empowered and to be able to make financial decisions, create evidence of like who in your life is like super good at managing money and has like this amazing successful life that you want. For myself, I couldn't rely on my parents for evidence because they weren't amazing with their money and they weren't great at managing their money. So instead, I had to look outside of my parents in order to create evidence. I had to hire business coaches in order to be like, oh, because initially my dad was an entrepreneur and I had the evidence of entrepreneurship is risky and very bad and something to be afraid of. And then I was like, wait, maybe that isn't serving me that great. How can I create evidence that entrepreneurship is actually amazing, lucrative, fun, freedom? <laughs> and so I hired a business coach that was that. And that really helped me to achieve and work towards starting a business, doing financial coaching, starting a podcast. It was based on this type of evidence of it is possible. Entrepreneurship is, can be fun. It can be lucrative and it doesn't have to be risky. And it's all about the evidence that you create for yourself in order to make your goals and dreams possible. Wow. That, that was really powerful. And, um, uh, the way that I like to think about um, or find evidence of success stories about entrepreneurship is that my husband and I, we, we both love watching Dragon's Den and Shark Tank. <laughs> so that we love watching those stories and to see like how these entrepreneurs came up with their business idea, how they were able to, you know, product, create all these sales and um, you know, with the help of the shark, how they were able to kind of, um, you, know, you know, blow it out of the water and just become a huge success. So it's, it's always nice to, to see those stories and know that, hey, if they can do it, like, why can't I, right? So. Exactly. If someone else can do it, you can do it too. Mm -hmm. So today we talked all about women empowerment through personal finance and we talked about so many amazing topics about how to manage your personal finances with your, uh, with your significant other as to why it's so important to learn how to manage your personal finances, whether you're a man, woman, or whatever gender that you identify as. What are some actions that we can start taking today to learn more about our personal finances so that we can have more control over our entire lives? There are so many things that you can do, um, you know, whether it's just, um, there, I mean, there's so many free resources as well, right? Um, yeah, whether it's listening to podcasts, to reading books, um, reading blogs, there's like so many great um, personal finance blogs and personal finance YouTubers out there um, that you can learn from, but also note that, make sure that you follow, um, and listen to trusted resources um, because not all information may be accurate. Um, so you just have to make sure, you know, um, take things with a grain of salt sometimes just because there's a lot of clickbait things out there. Or sometimes maybe you might find an American website that may not necessarily apply to um, you know, our Canadian tax system uh, and whatnot. And then other things you can do, you can take an online course, you can attend networking events, conferences, 
go to a, a workshop um, and yeah, you know, and not only learn and absorb the information, but also apply all of the knowledge that you take in from, um, you know, all of all of these great um, events that you go to. And um, I would say that another thing is to create financial goals for yourself, like take some time to um, write down, like what do you want to accomplish within um, the next year? What do you want to accomplish in the next, you know, one to three years or five to 10 years? Um, you know, and envision what your dream lifestyle will look like. Um, you know, for some people, they may want to go travel the world because now hopefully it's a little bit safer to travel there. At least, at least there's less restrictions. Um, or maybe you um, want to learn a new skill and, um, you know, pursue higher education. Or maybe you want to start a family and, you know, buy your dream house and whatnot. And I mean, affordability, is an, uh, affordable housing is a whole nother topic. But, um, you know, just just dream big and, and um, yeah, figure out what you want. Because if you don't really know what you want, then you won't have any direction, right? So think about, you know, what your, your big career goals, education goals um, family goals, travel goals, um, you know, giving back. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, your health and wellness and all those different aspects and um, figure out what you want, when you want it, how much it's going to cost you and work, make a plan to work towards those things. Um, and my husband and I do that. So for our short-term slash medium-term goals, we create individual savings accounts. So for example, um, we want to save for an electric vehicle. And so right now we have um, an eight-year-old Toyota Matrix, which is still running and functional, but our maintenance costs are getting high. And obviously the gas prices are astronomical right now. And so uh, we eventually want to um, transition to an electric vehicle. So every month we automate our savings for our paycheck and move some money into this electric vehicle savings account so that every month it's growing. And then so by the time that we're ready to make a purchase, we have you know, at least a, a down payment um, ready to go. Um, and and uh, also keeping track of your income expenses. Um, so that way you kind of know like where your money is going in and where it's coming out. And, and then that way you can see what you like to spend your money on and see if it aligns with your your values as well. So I think, yeah, those are those are all the kind of uh, top tips that I have to share that can help women to really um, start um, changing their financial situation around for the better. Amazing. I think there are like an endless amount of resources and um, things that we can read about personal finances to improve our own financial literacy. And what I like to think about learning about personal finance is just like, it's just like learning any other skill. Like if you're trying to learn how to swim, you're going to be probably not the greatest swimmer when you first like jump into the water and you've never swam before, but you need to, but if you spend more time and energy to learn it to, you know, hire a swimming teacher to teach you how to swim better and actually practice and put some more time and energy into it, then you'll go from a beginner to an intermediate and then an intermediate into an expert. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to personal finance, whether you're trying to learn how to save, spend, invest your money, it's all just a skill. And if, and since it's a skill, you might be a beginner at first, but if you put time and energy into it, you will always become better at it. I love that analogy. Um, and it reminds me of when I took swimming lessons from the age of four and spent 10 years um, working my way up to various swimming um, levels. And um, I failed many swimming classes uh, during my lifetime, but I kept persevering, kept retaking the class until I graduated and took the next swimming course. And um, after 10 years, I, you know, I was able to, um, you know, have the opportunity to learn, you know, lifeguarding skills. Um, and so it was, 
it was, um, you know, yeah, again, it was a great life skill. And I definitely appreciate, you know, being able to swim and, uh, and yeah, just like personal finance, either you, you sink or you swim and, and hopefully after, um, your listeners hearing our interview that they have some actual steps that they can take to help them swim financially. <laughs> yeah. And it's always like the end result that is so exciting and so amazing. Like when it comes to swimming, it's like, wow, imagine if you didn't know how to swim and like you went to a beach and like you couldn't touch the water and you couldn't go kayaking because you're too scared. But when you learn the skill of being able to swim, that opens so many opportunities for you. You can go to the beach, you can go surfing, you can mm-hmm. do all of these water sports that you can have so much fun and create amazing experiences with. Sure. And then when it comes to your personal finances, if you learn the skill of being able to manage your money, wow, that opens like so many doors. You can mm-hmm. go traveling more if that's something that you love to do. You can maybe even spend more time with your family. And this is all possible when you learn how to manage your personal finances. And yeah, the end result is of learning the skill of being able to manage your money is life-changing. Absolutely. So Sandy, what is some sort of last words or last advice that you would like to give to our listeners today? Uh, I think uh, overall, I mean, um, I think that again, it really comes down to taking action. Like hopefully um, from the stories and the lessons you've learned from Michael and I today that we've inspired you to, um, you know, to take action, write your financial goals, um, create your savings accounts and keep track of your income expenses. And then that way, these are just, you know, some easy things to start off and um, that will help hopefully help you stay motivated and continue to uh, grow and learning, uh, grow and uh, learn more throughout your financial journey. Amazing. So if the listeners want to learn more about you, Sandy, how can they either maybe even purchase your book or learn more about you on social media? How can people find you? Yeah, so uh, they can check out my website, which is sandyyong.com. That's spelled S-A-N-D-Y yong.com so you can find um, my book there Um, I have uh, printed um, and personalized autograph copies uh, that I ship worldwide and if you'd like to stay connected with me on social media you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at the money master book and on Twitter at money master book as well Amazing. Thank you so much, Sandy. I will have all of your links in the show notes of this episode. So if you guys want to learn more about Sandy, feel free to just check out the notes in or check out the show notes. Thank you so much, Sandy, for being here. And this was an amazing conversation. I also had a wonderful time um, sharing stories with you, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to the Mastery Over Money podcast. If you found any value with this episode, share this episode with a friend who needs to hear this message. Also, if you want to share your appreciation for this podcast, feel free to give it a review on Apple Podcasts as this helps me reach and help more young professionals such as yourself. That's it for today and I'll chat with you next week.